0: Wellness Force Radio, episode 26.
1: You have a set of skills that you can practice as often as you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, and that improves your baseline of emotional well being, of tranquility, of energy. And I'm not just talking about, oh yeah, I feel a little energy, I feel a little tranquil. I'm talking profoundly.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Force Radio. I am your host and digital health coach, Josh Trent. Thanks so much for sharing your busy day here on the podcast. Whether you're at the gym, outside, driving, or walking, I'm beyond happy you're here. And if you're here for the first time, Wellness Force Radio is where I bring you the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology. These are the thought leaders. They dedicate their lives to empowering others with knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today's show is brought to you by WellnessForce.com, where you'll learn how to change old habits with new technology. Explore to see if digital health coaching is right for you. Now, quick question. Are you using the podcast app on your iPhone right now? Tap the screen where you see the show logo and my face. It's cool. You can even tap me right on the nose. I won't feel it. You'll discover all the links and show notes from today's interview pop up easily on your screen. Hit that purple review link and take just 60 seconds to leave an honest review to be published live on iTunes. That amazing review allows me to keep the lights on for the show and to keep serving this community by bringing on world-class people who are making a difference and changing lives. Today's show, Juliana Ray, I am so excited to have this wonderful human being and mindfulness trainer on Wellness Force Radio. Today's show, we're going to talk about the power of mindfulness, how it directly impacts your physical and mental health, and the tools to begin implementation into your life. Juliana, welcome to the show.
1: It's my pleasure to be here, Josh. Thank you.
0: I was telling you a few moments back in the pre-show call, it's mindfulness and meditation is something that I've always worked on for years. And But in the early years of my life, it was a struggle. Yeah. And today I'm excited because a lot of people have been writing to me and asking me about mindfulness and having people on the show that can really move the needle for being present in the moment. So thanks for coming on.
1: It's my pleasure. It's a really fun, uh, I mean, a, a topic I'm very passionate about, and I know we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it.
0: Well, having facilitated people, it's been over 15 years. I know you do private and group trainings. Um, you get people interested. You get them engaged in doing mindfulness and, and more meditation practice with regularity. But mm-hmm. before we get started, I, I'm curious if there's a fun fact or something that people might not know about you, you'd be willing to share.
1: Ha. Huh. Um well I guess uh something people might not know about me. Is that have a former life as a pseudo rock star? <laughs> um, I started off my career path as a singer songwriter, and you know, all things considered, I I made pretty good headway.
0: It's such a cool story too. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that later in the show. But um, you know, your background, you you have grown up uh, as an emotionally intuitive person. And some of the things we're going to talk about today is the struggles and the obstacles that you've overcome, you know, being overwhelmed by emotions and a pretty big deal with Warner Brothers that went south, but then transformed you into something really powerful as well as a mindfulness trainer. But before we even jump into that, what exactly is mindfulness? I mean, you, you hear this buzzword all throughout yeah. the wellness and fitness industry, and I think people love to say they're being mindful, but <laughs> just explain to the audience, Juliana, what exactly is mindfulness?
1: That's so cool great. That's such a great way to start because yes, it's a hugely popular term. Everybody knows it's hot. And so therefore a lot of people are just throwing it around. And um, that's, you know what, that's just part, to me, I'm I'm happy because uh, just a few years ago, nobody even knew what it was. So I look at it as a, a wave of, you know, of progress. People at least know the word now, even if they don't necessarily know what it means, even if people are, you know, kind of misappropriating it or using it for their own, um, you know, gains, and they don't even really know what it means. But a simple way to think about mindfulness is that um, we have sort of what we would call ordinary mindfulness, which is basically that you're, you know, maybe think of it as uh, being present. That's kind of a catchphrase, or uh, being more aware. Um, you know, uh, really noticing your environment, for example. Um, maybe getting into the zone when you're working out, right? Um, And that's what I would call ordinary mindfulness. And then there's what I would call industrial strength mindfulness, which is it goes beyond conceptual. It goes beyond these sort of um, conditions. Uh, So for example, like you get into the zone when you're running and you consider that uh, mindfulness. Well, it is. However, true mindfulness means that that converts into changed throughout your whole life. So what we wanna see in industrial strength mindfulness is that the activities you do to strengthen your mindfulness skills impact the whole of your life. And in order to do that, you have to get super clear about, well, what is the definition of mindfulness and what are the procedures and techniques you use to strengthen mindfulness? So you can tell the difference between ordinary mindfulness and industrial strength. um, If you start getting into techniques and procedures, um, that's when it starts really having power. And I guess that's, to me, that's sort of the simplest way to understand the difference between when somebody talks about mindfulness, if they're talking about it more as like a concept you know um then you kind of get a picture okay that's more ordinary mindfulness but if someone talks about mindfulness as a set of techniques Uh, that you're doing to strengthen certain attention skills, then you know that that is industrial strength mindfulness.
0: I'd like to have two servings of industrial strength mindfulness every day. I mean, I wish it could be as easy as a a pill or something we could take, but the real things in life that matter are the ones that we have to practice over and over and over again. And I know you've worked with Ironman athletes and CEOs, corporate trainings, um, entrepreneurs, to really build their emotional quotient, their emotional IQ, in contrast to mindfulness, can you describe your definition of emotional intelligence or emotional IQ?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually, I, there's a tremendous link between mindfulness and emotional intelligence. Um, Mindfulness definitely informs and improves your empathy, your emotional regulation, uh, your compassion, your sense of authenticity, uh, being in integrity with yourself. I I would call these, you know, these are all uh, signs of emotional intelligence. Um, So, I teach people how to use mindfulness in order to cultivate their empathy, in order to improve their emotional regulation, um, you know, so that – you have greater sense of mastery around your emotions. And by mastery, I don't mean that you can pick and choose when you have what emotions. <laughs> but, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? Um, but what I mean by mastery is really that you know how to effectively process your emotions uh, so that you have choice around the actions you take. Uh, when, for example, you're emotionally triggered. So that's what I, when I think of emotional intelligence, I think of the ability to um, emotionally resonate with other people, to emotionally regulate internally what's going on for us. So that's what comes to mind for me. And mindfulness plays a huge role in your ability to do that.
0: And we're going to really unpack mindfulness uh, during today's show, but so we can have a a nice framework for who you are and where you've been. Walk people through just a, a quick painted picture of your road to the music industry, what that was like. I know I already touched on growing up. You've said on multiple shows and online that you're an emotionally intuitive person. So I think whether you knew it or not, Juliana, this gift of mindfulness and this intuitiveness, you've had it all along and possibly make it's what made you a a really great dynamic performer and, and someone that can connect with the audience. But what was that like as a young kid and maybe an adolescent and a teenager growing up, moving into the music industry?
1: Well, I tell you, I am basically a pragmatist. I for me, I I'm just practical. If it works, then I'll do it. And I'm really good at following recipes. <laughs> so in terms of I, I would say that I I mindfulness was never something that I ever would have considered as a kid. It was so far from, you know, my framework for understanding the world. But I grew up as the daughter of two psychotherapists, so I definitely was comfortable with the psychological paradigm. And um, that played a really strong role in my life. Uh, but And I was also innately a performer at the age of five. I was performing for my entire family on Thanksgiving, you know, that kind of thing. So um, at a very early age, I loved performing and knew that I wanted to be a performer, actually. Uh, but I also knew that I really wanted to help people. And I only psychotherapy was the only sort of model I knew for helping people and I knew that that wasn't quite a fit for me. Maybe I had too much insider information grow, growing up as the daughter <laughs> of two, you know. But in any case, I I I but so there was always this for me, I always felt torn between self-expression and helping people and there was, you know, it's like you can always help people through self-expression, but some there was some piece that was missing that locked into place when I discovered mindfulness. Um, But basically what happened was I went to college and got a BA in psychology and then I felt like something was missing and I got back into acting classes and fell in love with uh, that and decided I wanted to move to LA and become an actress and a singer. I started writing songs and literally came out here and a year later I got a record deal on Warner Brothers and I was was being produced by uh, an icon, a guy named Jeff Lynn, so a big-time producer who, you know, produced the Tom Petty Full Moon Fever, if you ever heard that record, and lots of other big records, but I was sort of thrown into the deep end overnight in this great opportunity, um, and it was extraordinary, And I got you know lots of critical acclaim for my record that came out, and it was all my original music and and two years later, you know, the record company didn't hear a single, which is like code for "We're not going to put any money into this." <laughs> mm. And um, two years later, I was waitressing again. And I was devastated because I felt like I had finally found something that I had a deep passionate connection to doing and I wanted to make it my life and I was scared that I would never get that kind of opportunity again. Um, And I pushed through and I did get some extraordinary opportunities, but one of the things that really hit me at that moment, at that critical moment when um, I kind of fell on my ass, if you will, um, and found myself waitressing again, I, I realized, you know what? Even when I was living out my dream, I was not feeling completely fulfilled. I was really struggling, actually. And now that I'm you know, doing this thing that I'm not so happy about, I feel like I'm at risk. I feel like I'm at risk to really plummet emotionally. I really struggled with anxiety and with depression. And at that point, I thought, I don't want to walk around on the planet feeling like I'm at risk Mm -hmm. if things don't go my way, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious when you said that there was something missing, even when you're, you know, you're opening up for Don Henley, one of the Eagles, and you have this dynamic career that that seems to be taking flight in, in the music industry. What was missing at that time?
1: Well, it was this sense that this sense of resilience is what was missing. I knew that so much of my fulfillment hinged on things working out the way I hoped they would work out. And and that was not, and I knew that psychotherapy wasn't really enough for me. I knew that that wasn't really quite um, doing the trick in terms of, it was very helpful, but it wasn't really addressing this kind of um, baseline of well-being. I, I knew that I was sort of chronically walking around Almost about to fall into a pothole, (laughs) Mm. and and that I couldn't find anything. I tried psychotherapy. I tried medication, even. I tried antidepressants. What kinds Um,
0: of uh, medication were you on?
1: I tried, um, you know, Prozac and uh, Effexor and Celexa, and I mean, I went through like a series of um, antidepressants trying to find one that uh, actually they they all for my. Brain chemistry—they made me feel worse, much worse. Mm. They triggered the anxiety, and I—I um, I found that for me, I couldn't handle <laughs> the antidepressants. So I, then I was really at a loss because I thought, "Oh my gosh, there's psychotherapy isn't doing it, antidepressants isn't doing it. What is going to save me from myself?" I knew that it was—I knew that there was um, something internal going on um, that needed to change. Because I knew that I, I needed something that was independent of conditions. Because if I was at the mercy of things working out, you know, being able to make music for the rest of my life professionally, for instance, that was a big one. Um, I knew that that, that wasn't really going to... Uh, protect me in the big picture, that that really wasn't going to fulfill me either, ultimately. Because when, when your well-being is hinging on certain goal achievement, two things happen. One is, if it doesn't work out, you're screwed. And the second thing that happens is, if it does work out, you're always waiting for, mm. for it to go wrong, you know, because... Yeah. You've married your sense of well-being to that thing that's you know needs to work out. So I saw that that was a trap that I was falling into again and again, and that it was affecting, it was affecting my fulfillment even when I got to do the thing I loved. So, I think um, what hit
0: me really hard is when you said independent of conditions. Can you can you expound upon that? I mean, that's yeah. a pretty powerful statement.
1: Oh yeah, it is. Um, to me, that is the. How can I put it? That's the treasure at the heart of mindfulness practice. You have a set of skills that you can practice as often as you want, wherever you want, whenever you want, and that improves your baseline of emotional well-being, of tranquility, of energy. And I'm not just talking about, oh, yeah, I feel a little energy, I feel a little tranquil. I'm talking profoundly. Um, the the My inner experience now is radically different than 20 years ago when I started practicing, radically. So um, it's very tangible. It's very physiological, the effect that practice has. And that's something that I certainly found surprising. And I think a lot of people would find surprising. So it literally does rewire your inner experience so that your baseline of well-being gets elevated over time, which means that whether things are going well or whether things are going not so well, you have this set of skills to metabolize, to process your experience so that your overall baseline keeps increasing. So you are in that way. It's totally independent of whether things go well or not. Mm. Um, you, You can use whatever happens to you to improve your overall well-being. And that's pretty radical.
0: It's kind of like this mindset of you know things happen to you or things happen for you. do you feel like mindfulness goes the route of this happens for you?
1: Yes, and I would say that mindfulness basically gives you an uh, an infrastructure of support to maximize that so we can you know the concept that everything goes you know that everything happens for you conceptually we get it but you can only hang on to a concept for so long, right? And then you're, then you, then you kind of are crushed by the weight of the difficulty. Mm-hmm. How, however, if you have a set of techniques and strategies, if you have a toolbox that you can draw from where you know how to apply a certain set of skills to a situation in order to um, make it work for you, well, that's the most empowering thing you can have.
0: Okay. I'm excited now. Let's, let's unpack the toolbox. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what are are these um, these these rituals. I mean, you're a busy coach. You're 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 all over the place, traveling the world. What are your daily rituals? What are the, some of these tools start to look like for people who maybe are just beginning?
1: Well, actually, it's 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 not even a set of rituals. It's a set of skills, attention skills that you're building, um, and you can do it during any ritual. You can do do it during any activity. The skills are concentration, power, sensory clarity. And equanimity. Um, concentration power is basically uh, the ability to focus your attention on what you consider to be important. And that has obvious value because a lot of times we get pulled into preoccupation around things that we would rather, that are not serving us, let's just say. We get negative thinking, negative self talk. Right. Yeah, exactly. We get caught in that and we overvalue it, and that diminishes our sense of well being. Well, if you learn how to concentrate your attention on what you choose to focus on, then you can prioritize better. You can focus on the thoughts and ideas that are much more that that serve you. So that's just a little example. And you can strengthen that muscle of concentration and thereby have that choice about what you focus on. So that's one skill. Second skill is sensory clarity. Sensory clarity is your ability to track your moment by moment sense experience. So We're processing our our inner environment and our external environment moment by moment with all this information, right? You're hearing me talk right now. Uh, Maybe you're getting an image of uh, the two of us talking, what that might look like. Or maybe you're looking outside your window and seeing the environment.
0: Um, (laughs) There's all kinds of conversations going on.
1: That's it. Yeah. So, so this is sense information that your, your senses are constantly gathering information for you to process to give you the context of yourself and the world and your ability to track that experience moment by moment, whether you're able to, for example, track a sound moment by moment, as it go like a siren going <laughs> past your window, or uh, whether you're able to track a sensation in your body moment by moment, or whether you're able to disentangle and notice like, oh, there's a sensation happening, and then there's a thought happening, and then there's an emotion tied to the thought. So that's all called sensory clarity. And your ability to do that reduces um, overwhelm in the system in the same way that, you um, you know, Papers pile up on your desk or uh, folders pile up on your computer. Um, That starts to give you that sense of being overwhelmed, right? When things aren't don't have a sense of order and place, we start to get overwhelmed. Well, the same thing can happen internally. When you have a thought, um, oh no, I forgot to do X. And then you have a fear response. You feel a little bit of fear in your body. And then you have the thought, Why do I always do that? And then you have frustration happening in your body. Um, That builds a momentum. And that then leads to um, getting caught in that thinking, which sends us down a rabbit hole that's not productive. But if you're able to disentangle the thought from the feeling and recognize that uh, the two do not have to automatically go together, it's much more manageable. You can mm. locate the feeling in your body. You can notice, oh, how intense is it? Uh, okay. Yeah. Fear feels like this and it's located here and it's this level of intensity. Um, then that's that's breaking the habit of binding the fear to the thought. Um, and that gives you a little bit more freedom in the system and reduces your overwhelm it's the fact that we automatically bind the feeling to the thought that gives the thought charge gives it energy gives it weight gives it a sense of solidness and uh, meaning and truth and you know reality quote unquote Mm -hmm. so so sensory clarity helps us disentangle our sensory experience, so it doesn't lead to overwhelm. Um, And then the third skill is equanimity. And equanimity has to do with our relationship to our experience. We are able to allow our sensory experience to come and go without pushing and pulling on it. And what do I mean by pushing and pulling? I mean, we're doing our best not to judge what's happening as it's happening in us. So if a spike of anger happens, right? Let's say someone says something and you notice that you're, you have a moment of anger. Um, if you try to fight with that anger, in other words, if you try to shove it down or push it away, that's not going to go so well. If you get caught in the anger um, and that leads to you saying something in retaliation, that's not a- going to go so well either. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't yeah. we all? I mean, yeah. that's, you know, <laughs> that's the work. So, um, you know, going back to emotional intelligence, so much of emotional intelligence has to do with simply recognizing that the anger is happening. Uh, And then knowing how to be with that feeling. We'll we'll use anger because that's a difficult one for for most of us. Most of us, we don't know how to to experience anger without um, reacting to it in some form by either Mm -hmm. trying to push it away or getting caught in it. So we learn how to be with the anger without fighting it, just letting it ring out inside of us and let it move through us so that it can be released and it doesn't uh, end up um, uh, uh, undermining us in various ways. So we develop a different kind of relationship to anger where we're not pushing it away, but we're also not getting caught in it. We're just letting it... um, Uh, Ring out as it needs to inside of us and pass away, which it will. It just spikes and it passes away, and it spikes and it passes away. And we do our best to be with that. We try to soften around it. We try not to judge it. um, And in doing that, we form a healthy relationship to the full range of our emotional life. Mm. And, And that then frees up our energy because we spend a lot of energy trying to shove that anger down. And it really doesn't serve us in the end. That dulls, we get into the habit of shoving things down. Guess what? You're also shoving joy down.
0: Oh man. I I have to tell you like everything you're saying resonates super loud in my brain because my journey of personal development in the past three to five years has been giving myself permission to actually feel what I feel. Having a palette of emotions that I get to paint with, not going into a shame spiral because I'm feeling angry. I don't know if anyone listening can relate to this, but- have you ever had an emotion that you're feeling, and then maybe it's you know guilt or anger or sadness, and then you're actually feeling bad that you're feeling that emotion? So now right. you have two emotions fighting against you instead of just surrendering to the emotion and that's feeling right. it. Um, how does one how does one deal with this though? Like when life stress comes up, is there a specific action plan that we can utilize through mindfulness mm-hmm. to not let our emotions take us on a joy ride?
1: Yeah, that's great, and you know the truth. It's that uh, it's real mastery is reached when right in the moment, we're able to apply our skills, but that takes a long time. I still work with that one, you know, so if I get triggered and it's it's totally unexpected, sometimes I'll go into a reactive place and I you know then afterwards, I have to consider how I could have navigated it better. Sure. but um, but what we can do is we can when we're on our own, Or when the situation isn't right in front of us, we can get into the habit of noticing when our emotions get triggered. Because a lot of times this stuff carries over. We end up arguing in our heads, you know, (laughs) with the person over and over again. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of time to practice, (laughs) not knowing, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So so let's say say you're in an argument in your head. Um, Here's what you can do. So bringing those skills to bear, like we talked about, um... You might notice, okay, I'm feeling angry right now, and it's located here in my body, and it's at a, it's at a level eight out of ten, and it's moving. I'm noticing it's moving. It's starting in my solar plexus, and it's it seems to be moving out in all directions. And um, okay, so I'm I'm staying with the feeling of anger. I'm noticing where it's moving. um, And I'm becoming curious and interested in it. I'm not judging it as good or bad, right or wrong. I'm just noticing it. I'm doing my best not to connect it to some thoughts about the person. I'm doing my best just to stay with the feelings. Um, Even though the thoughts may be triggering the feelings, I'm just going to stay with the feelings. So right then when you do that, what are you doing? Well, you're building concentration because you're staying uh, focused on an object of focus, which is your emotion, right? Maybe that anger right there. Um, So that's building concentration because you're letting everything else be in the background and you're just focusing on the emotion. Um, Sensory clarity is being built when you're tracking how the emotion is moving through you and its level of intensity and things like that. And then equanimity is, is um, cultivated because you're not judging it as an experience. You're discovering it. You're Uh, becoming curious and interested in it as an experience. And that is mindfulness. Just returning again and again to the experience of your emotions, whatever they are, and doing your best to process them the way I've described. That is a a, a mindfulness exercise that you can do anytime, anywhere to increase your emotional intelligence because it's introducing you to your authentic response Mm. and and in that way, you can remain integrity, in integrity with yourself, and be with whatever is true for you, right in that moment, right or wrong. It does there is no right and wrong. It's just mm-hmm. what's, what's happening for you right then.
0: I love what you said. Exercise, when it's a mindfulness exercise, it sometimes becomes a, a second thought that, you know, the brain actually has synaptic wirings inside of it that have myelin sheaths around it. And when you repetitively practice something over and over again, like mindfulness, you're actually changing biochemically and electrically the way that your body fires, the way that your brain fires. And exactly. I think sometimes people don't really understand that. But basically, in the same way that you do bicep curls to train your arms, you your brain gets trained by doing repetitive action that's healthy for you, mindfulness. And, and you know, on the other side, too, uh, potato chips, bonbons, and watching an entire series of House of Cards, that can be wired as well. <laughs> right. So, right. And, and no hate on House of Cards, but I mean, the, these behavior change is what we talk about a lot on the show. But I, I'm curious, just to make a shift here, Juliana, do you use any pieces of technology, any wellness technology pieces or apps uh, yourself for mindfulness and increasing the quality of meditation or mindfulness.
1: Well, I just want to make a quick point before we shift, which is that you brought up a great example, which is the bicep curls. Mindfulness actually has this term, noting, uh, which is what I described. This bringing your attention repeatedly back to your object of focus, which in the last example was your emotional life. So the act of noting is to acknowledge and then stay with whatever you're noticing for a few moments. And that's the hard part. That's right. Yeah. That's (laughs) the. Those are the curls. And just in the same way that gravity, um, you know, gravity is what you're working against to strengthen your muscle. All the distractions are what you're working against to strengthen the the muscle of your attention. Mm. So you can think of distractions not as a problem, but a lot of people when they start practicing, they're like, oh, I can't do this. I keep getting distracted. What's wrong with me? My mind won't stay still. Well, that's normal. (laughs) <laughs> that's that. Think of it as gravity. That's all it is. That's you're just. That's what you're working against. That's where the. That's where the growth happens. In the yeah. same way that that muscle grows stronger through the repetition, because uh, you're working against gravity, and each time you repeat that exercise, hey, guess what? It feels a little bit heavier because that gravity is pulling a little bit more strongly. The muscle's getting weaker. That that's what grows the muscle. Same thing. You repeat it, bringing your attention back, bringing your attention back, bringing your attention back, and staying with, staying with. Saying that, that's the tool. That's noting. That's a that's a technical term, and it's just the same as working out your muscles.
0: I, I love this, and if anybody has listened to the show for a while, you know that I love metaphor. So, Juliana, beautiful metaphor. You get kudos for the awesome metaphor. <laughs> um, but, it's quite literal too. It, it really is. I mean, yeah. when you talk about the bicep curl, like for example, if you're doing 12 reps. Rep 11 and 12, if you're doing it correctly, are the hardest ones. So sitting with the emotion, even if you failed a hundred times before, it's the repetition of that, that, that almost like you're, you're burning your mental muscle and then it gets stronger by sitting and actually giving yourself permission to just be in the emotion and not shame spiral that you're having the emotion in the first place
1: you've got it yeah I often refer to mindfulness practice as an inner sport a very subtle inner sport and that's the way I think of it and that's that's the way it is
0: mindfulness as a sport I yeah, love it.
1: it is it, it seems so counterintuitive because you're just many people are just sitting there I get for it. The practice but yeah it's a, yeah
0: I, I totally get it yeah. well, wellness technology in apps thank you for for touching on that I'm so glad we we went back to that quickly um, what, what type of apps or tech I know you maybe you can touch on the uh, the trip that you made to Interaxon, the makers of Muse. We've had um, Ariel Garden, the, the CEO, on the show before, so I know the listeners are, are quite familiar with their technology. But for you, have you seen anything that's made an impact for yourself or for any clients that you work with on the technology side?
1: Sure. Um, so I'm in actually uh, in the midst of uh, helping uh, my teacher Shenzhen Young create an app. So that's something that's going to be coming out um, probably. Within the next year, that's down the line, and that, I I love his system for a variety of reasons, which I'll get into maybe at some point. But um, I would say I know that the Insight Timer has been very helpful for people because um, it's just a it's just an easy way to um, have a nice timer and also see who else is meditating where else on the planet. So, uh, that's one. I know that Headspace has an app that people really love. And I know those guys at Headspace, they're great. So, um, that's another one I've heard. They probably
0: have really strong brains. (laughs) Super (laughs) strong.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Well, Andy, um, Andy, uh, you know, did his 10 years, uh, as a Tibetan monk. So, um, you know, he, he comes from that tradition and, uh, Mm. so that's Headspace. And then, um, um, yeah, I actually got to go up and do a uh, lead. I, I co-led with a guy named, uh, a colleague named Michael Taft. We co-led a um, a retreat for the Muse folks, uh, InterAxon. And Muse is a biofeedback device. And I think one of the great things uh, for people with Muse is that if you're someone who loves tech, um, you know, that uses tech as a way to get you engaged in physical exercise. Um, you know, a lot of people these days, it's like, it's like a great sort of support system as you're just starting out and learning. Um, and, uh, it kind of. It can gamify things. So I think, I think Muse does that for learning how to strengthen your attention. Um, it gamifies it. It, it gives you like a, a support in the form of a piece of equipment that you can use to, to start it, like safely dip your toes into this process and get acquainted with the process of, um, strengthening your attention. So, uh, yeah, I think, um, there's, there are some wonderful tools out there, and I think it's only going to get more and more interesting, too, as we map the brain and get clear about... Um,
0: Has the brain been mapped?
1: Uh, no. Okay. Are we close? Uh, no.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) It's
1: not that far. I mean, you know, we we're. I I think it'll happen in the next decade. I don't know. It's like that.
0: um, I don't know if you saw the the movie X machine there, X machina. I have. I
1: have. Oh,
0: I was just blown (laughs) away. Anyways, that's a side note. Well, I I love what you're saying about um, the technology can actually drive it, especially like I'll just share it in my own life. The reason that Muse was powerful for me was because it developed consistency. So I'm a, I'm a, a blind that's my personality type through Gretchen Rubin. And I've learned about myself that this exterior framework for accountability, not letting other people down, creating systems outside myself that are greater than me, that channel and help me to do the uh, to execute the behaviors that are healthy for my body and my mind and my and my soul. And, and I'm curious if you've always had this inner drive and this inner work. Do you have any exterior framework that keeps right. you accountable to being a great coach, to being mindful in your own life?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, for me, the, what I found was uh, uh, going on retreats, actually. I, I dove into the deep end and got immersive in my training because I saw that was what I needed um, to heal. I had pretty severe, um, as I mentioned, uh, depression and anxiety. And I so, about two years into my practice, I'd been practicing for about a half an hour a day. And I went on my first retreat with Shin Yang, my teacher. And that was when I saw wow this this practice is is more powerful than I realized and back then they weren't doing all the you know the the hard science studies showing its efficacy so mm. it's come a long way since then but I in that on that retreat, I I got a window into how powerful it could be. And that became my framework. I started training, I would go and I still to this day go on four retreats a year. um, And then I'll also do often some big chunks during the month, like a day long sit or something like that, uh, with a group. So
0: sitting for literally the entire day.
1: Yeah, I mean, you take oh. breaks. It's not like you. It's not like you sit perfectly still and don't move. But um, you do have like you do like forty five minutes, and then you've got a five minute break, and then you go for half an hour, and then you've got a five minute break, and then you go for. So um, you basically uh, just sit all day. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that sounds like completely crazy, but you know it. It's it is what what it means for me as a coach is that. There is not one situation you could come with that I don't have some experience or knowledge about or have the resources to help you with. Yeah. And that's huge because this is a powerful practice. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, we think of it as a, okay, we're building this mental muscle, we're going to have greater focus and greater well being. And that's true. But also sometimes there's stuff that you got to work through, stuff yeah. comes up. And You want to know – you want to have a good – Support network for as you get deeper into it, um, not only for accountability but also so that you can make the most of opportunities when they present themselves. Because there can be some really wonderful and unexpected opportunities, uh, you know, uh, ways of perceiving things that you insights that you could never have imagined. Then there's also can be challenges that come up, um, you know, where stuff from your past comes up and you're not sure how to work with it, or you you know you find it challenging. So It's important to have, um, yes, um, great to have technology for support, but also important to have human beings for accountability. And I do find that group training has been a very powerful resource for me, training together with a, a network of people.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll share in my own life that that has the only, that's been the only thing that's moved the needle for me, like without community, it's almost, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's, it's much less likely to happen transformation. I mean, without the support of a tribe or a community or like-minded people that are quote into or passionate about whatever it is you are. And, and in your life, mindfulness is more than just a passion. It's a way of being, it's your purpose. Um, and, and I'm curious when something that you, you had shared and and that I had known about you, um, is that your dad had moved. And one of the reasons we had to wait, I wanted to get you on the show, um, earlier, but, your dad had moved from his home and you had mentioned to me that, man, you know, if I didn't have my tool set of mindfulness, it would be so difficult at that age to be able to deal with the stresses of radical life change. And I'm I'm curious, you know, for people that have either gone through a family member being lost or, or a, a car accident or whatever it might be, um, how would they go about integrating mindfulness when experiencing loss. And, and how did you do that to ease the pain?
1: Yeah, well, um, so my mom passed away three years ago. It's uh, it's actually nearly the anniversary. She um, passed away on October 31st, um, 2012. And my dad, the, she and my dad lived together in the same house for 43 years. And um, so we just had to move him. He, he fell a few times and it just stopped being... Um, it stopped being manageable for him to live in the home that they lived in for so many years. So that is a huge transition. And, and the thing that w- when my mom was sick, um, it, it was at that moment that I really saw the value of my practice. Uh, that was when I deeply understood how powerful mindfulness can be. Um, because it enabled me to be fully present and available to her during that process and also to be able to work through the difficult emotions. I mean, you know, profoundly painful emotions that I was going through and that through it all, it imbued the process with a profound sense of meaning and helped us maintain that loving connection, and heightened that loving connection, um, rather than getting caught as we sometimes can in, um, you know, in, in pettiness, which is really just a diversion, you know, to keep us safe from feeling mm. the pain of our grief. Right. So we we tend to get all caught up in bickering and things like that um, because. The true, the pain of the grief is just so intense that you don't know how to turn towards it and be with it. So this practice enabled me to really be with the whole process in a very complete way. In a way where I, I, you know, I saw the value of it more clearly than ever, and it made me realize, wow, I've got this for the rest of my life. So when these transitions happen to me as they will, um, I'm in a place where I can grow from the experience where I'm not going to get caught in the experience the way I would have without these tools. So I feel deeply, deeply grateful that my parents um, supported me in, in get in, you know, c- acquiring these skills that I, that, you know, I think every parent's job is to have their kids grow beyond them. Right. <laughs> it's like, it, it's like, a, that's yeah. sort of the, that's the whole idea of evolution. and, and, um, my parents enabled me through their support, um, you know, emotionally. And they just recognized the value that this practice was bringing to my life. And they knew my struggle. And they wanted for me um, something that was going to be helpful to me. And so um, they've given me this gift that is going to keep on giving through the rest of my life now. I have a set of skills that I can turn to anytime, anywhere, and uh so whatever the challenges i face and yeah that witnessing my dad's transition and my mom's transition um was a very powerful reminder of <sighs> the inescapable nature of being human of what it means if we're lucky you know if we're lucky we get to live to uh, to be elderly and go through a transition like that and it's just tough. And so seeing that, um, it is it, it very touching to me to see, you know, my dad lived through it and, um, also to be able to be supportive of him in a way that I know I would not have been able to without these skills in place.
0: Sure. and I, and I almost feel like it, in a way what you're describing is is you know not allowing the emotion to take you wherever you quote quote selfishly might want to go, you know feeling the pain, not paying attention to the needs of others, but it, it's almost like this practice has made you resilient and flexible to yeah. um, what's actually occurring rather than you know being a victim, you're, you're the victor of your circumstance.
1: Exactly, yeah, and compassionate. In order to be really compassionate, we have to be willing to turn towards our own pain. If we can't be with our own pain, that cuts us off from our ability to be with other people's pain and really connect with them. And ultimately, that pain that we're so terrified of or that we're so overwhelmed by, that pain can be the great connector. So if we allow it to, if we, if we know how to be with it, Um, So that it doesn't knock us flat, um, you know, so that we know how to work through it, go through it. Um, That can be our greatest resource for connecting more deeply with other human beings.
0: Man, I I seriously want to put that and chisel that in stone, that last 20 seconds that you spoke. That's how powerful that was for Uh me. It hit really hard. Um, We've had a lot of people on the show that talk about how to execute and be mindful. And I know you have a a free resource for people to learn more about some of the advanced and intermediate and beginning concepts we've talked about today. And it's freemeditationlesson.com, correct? That's right. Okay. So guys, head on over to wellnessforce.com slash Ray. That's where you can find all the things we talked about today, the show notes, and also check out freemeditationlesson.com. Juliana, is there anything else today that you feel like is really important to bring to light or to discuss when we look at integrating mindfulness into a beginner's lifestyle?
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? One thing I was going to point out that I think is really cool—the meeting of tech and community—that's um, really powerful. Social media is beautiful in the sense that even if you're in a remote location, um, you can virtually connect to people who are on this path with you. And that
0: isn't it beautiful? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I it, love really it. it really, it that's really how, is. It really—that's how it's
1: like. It's just amazing. Um, so uh, um, yeah, I mean, you and I met in person, but then it, were it not for Facebook, who knows? whether we would have... Uh, sure, how there could there? I spy <laughs>
0: on you, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, so I, I think that there is this beautiful, um, let's take advantage, I guess is what I'm saying. We tend to, you know, be like, oh, I shouldn't spend so much time on social media, or whatever. But then we miss the true value of it. I mean, it's incredible how it can connect us. So um, take advantage of that resource. Um, you know, tech can be used in terms of... Uh, technically supporting you, it can also be used in terms of creating an accountability system through connection to other human beings virtually. So just that was a a thought I had after we spoke about that.
0: Thank you, Juliana. Well, again, guys, check out the show notes for everything today. This has been, Juliana, one of the best conversations I've ever had around how to actually take action On putting these mindfulness practices and these meditation practices into our lives. So, I just want to take one second here to genuinely thank you and just honor you for the work you're doing in the world. You're helping tons of people across the globe, and you're going to help thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands online when you launch with, uh, with your mentor. So thank you so much for what you do.
1: Well, Josh, it's been my pleasure. This has been such an exciting, rich conversation and it's a joy. It's a joy to talk about this with you. So thank you.
0: That was miss Juliana Ray. Thank you, Juliana, for coming on the show today. I have to tell you, my mind was blown in five different directions. Emotional presence is something that I've been working on a lot lately. And if you're interested in combining your emotional presence training with wellness technology and holistic lifestyle coaching, you might be a fit for our scholarship spot in the digital health coaching group. I have one more paid spot I'm just looking for the right fit. If you're someone who is looking to lose 10, 15, 20 pounds or increase your energy, maybe you're a busy working mom who's looking for the leverage that she needs, those extra tools and community that she needs, you might be the right fit for our group. Give me an email, josh at wellnessforce.com. I would love to interview you and see if you are a fit for our beta group. Now you get to go and have an amazing day with all the tools and inspiration from Juliana and all the other guests here. So until we see each other again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.